Hi, I'm Julie Bowen, co-host of Quitters, and this is my co-host. Hi, I'm Chad Sanders. And this week on Quitters, we are interviewing Allie Love. I know her because she's the only Peloton instructor I've ever done Peloton with. Is that what you say? He's <laughs> yeah, like you guided. Made it sound like a drug. <laughs> I did Peloton. We did Peloton together. It was so crazy. No, because I don't like fitness classes where people are yelling at me. And I was told she doesn't yell at you. And I, I've never done a live class, though. I realized it when we were talking. I've never done a live class. I always pick old ones with like, because they're like kind of like rated. Not many people have done them. Because I don't like that live competition feeling. I'm, I'm not into that. <laughs> I know Allie as the, uh, the host of the Nets here in Brooklyn. And I've seen her here in New York, seeing her ascendance as like a, uh, she's like a new economy entrepreneur. That's how I think of her. She, it looks like she's growing businesses in a lot of different ways via the three C's, which she opens up on in the interview. Yeah, she does. She does. And she opens up on some quits along the way. She has an incredibly uh, healthy uh, relationship with her body, but she does talk about the things that she's had to move on from and leave behind in her, in her journey uh, from injured kid to ballet dancer to Nick City dancer to Peloton instructor and beyond. So here she is, Allie Love. I'm Julie. I'm Chad. How What's you doing, up? Allie? Hello, hello. We have a dossier here with a lot of information about you, but great. What? Oh, now I see it. I was like, you don't sound like you're from New York. You're from Florida. I'm from Miami. Yeah, you're from Miami. Yeah, three hundred five. Okay, but you live. When did you make the change? Yeah, when did you come um, up to, to the East Coast? Yeah, for school. So basically, I I came up. I used to come up every summer for dance. I was a dancer growing up. And I fell in love with New York at the age of 13. And I just knew that I wanted to live here. And so when it was time to adult at 17 years old, I moved to New York City for school, went to school, Fordham University, Lincoln Center, and stayed. Cool, man. Oh, my well, gosh. I, I, I feel like I have seen you for a few years just by going to Nets games here and there. Our producer, Rachel, is a big fan of what you do with Peloton. We know a little bit about you from this dossier and just like from your, you know, your public persona, like not persona, but your public feats now. And we're going to try to like get to, I feel like there's some unexplored surface area for you just like as a person. That's where we want to go. Sounds lovely. Let's do it. I'm a fan as well. Rachel bought a Peloton and put it in my house because she doesn't have a house. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not getting on that thing. Wait, where like, does just, Rachel live? You, she doesn't have a house. Like, she was just like, she has Rachel's have a house. outside my door. <laughs> she slips in a hallway she, right now. She slips but. down the street. She has an apartment, but it isn't big. It, it, she felt like there wasn't space for a Peloton and I had space. So she's like, this is my Peloton and I'm putting it in your house. And I was like, that's great. I'm never touching it because I don't like people yelling at me. She goes, Allie Love won't yell at you. She was right. You inspired me, but you'd not yell at me. So thank you. I love that you said that because this morning I kind of had an epiphany. I don't know if you ever have these moments in life where you've known something about yourself forever, but you could never articulate it. And so this yeah. morning I recognized that I have a really strong like re visceral response to people in my personal space. Like I've always uh. known it and it's very practical, but but I never I never recognized it fully. And this morning I was just like around folks and I was like, whoa, I think, and I was like, ooh, I'm coming to terms with that. I think I've always been this way. I need you to definitely give me space. Like I just need you, like you don't want people yelling at you and I don't want people rolling up on me. <laughs> and yet, and yet you, you live in New York City. It looks like in yeah. Fort Greene or Manhattan. Yeah, Manhattan, thanks. Okay. Why did you fall in love with New York? You said you fell in, New York, in love with the New York as a teenager. You are still yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. 20-ish years later. I have no idea how many, but yeah. why did you do that? Well, um, I love that you connect that. I don't like ro people rolling up on me and like you're like, you're in one of the busiest <laughs> cities. Subtle shade, Chad, but I'm here for it. Well, you know <laughs> what it is about? Too. I live in New York too. <laughs> what it is about New York is like, nobody wants to be in your space in New York. They just don't want you in theirs. And everyone uh, owns all the space in New York. Like on the sidewalk, when you're walking, right. I think every individual on this call, when you're walking in New York City, it's like your sidewalk. Like this, I was here first in, in a sense. Everyone feels mm. like they were there first. And so it's not about getting into anyone's space. It's about making sure that they stay out of yours. So I love New York for that reason. I think that there's an element of rhythm that happens. There's, there's a rhythm of New York that I love in terms of this um, fast pace, 
this thoughtfulness, this grittiness, this high bar that everyone really cannot make it in New York. And I think for me, as someone who is an A-type personality, who has really high benchmarks for herself, I think it's like, I want to hang with the best. And for me, not that Miami wasn't that, it's just that New York gave me that. Just a little background for 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 the four people on earth who don't know who Allie Love is. Uh, she's currently like uh, uh, the, the in-house host for the Brooklyn Nets. She is a Peloton instructor, but you started out as a dancer mm-hmm. and a dancer who had a terrible, terrible accident as a child. And you were told you couldn't walk again or you, yeah. and you wouldn't dance. Yeah. So how did you get past that? Because dance is pain. Were you a dancer before you, no. you had the accident? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think so. Absolutely not, though. I was not a dancer. What ended up happening was, yeah, at the age of nine, I got hit by a car. And as I continue to tell this story over the last three years, I feel like I've started yeah. sharing it over the last three years. Yeah. What has evolved from the story isn't necessarily the accident itself, but it was more of their transitions, right? We in I read a book where they're called life quakes. And in an average person's life, hmm. you will have about five to seven life quakes. These are pivotal, traumatic turning points. This could be anything yeah. from losing your dream job, losing a loved one, mm-hmm. being, you know, shocked with news, i.e. nine mm-hmm. years old, Ali Love gets hit by a car, life changes, almost dies in the hospital for seven days, five days in traction, mm-hmm. waiting to have surgery because they don't have the instruments to do a hip surgery for a little kid. Usually it happens to, to young adults. And I tell this story, and I've been telling this story for a while now, in that I had this conversation with my mom. She talked to the doctor. It wasn't going well. And she was just like, hey, you know, like, and I and I say it so, you know, so cash, but she was, you know, it was a serious conversation of just like, you have to figure out what you want. Like we could trade, we wish we could trade places for you, but you got to figure out what you want because if you want to live, then you got to pray and fight for your life. But if you want to go on, that is totally up to you. And again, I say it so casually. It didn't happen that casually. It was a very intense conversation. And I, and I, quote my mom, even though to this day she says she she blacked this out, is that I said, you know what, I'm going to fight and I'm going to continue, like to continue to fight for my life and pray. And those two things are the two things that allow me to do what I do today. In the darkest and the lightest moments of my life, I'm able to pray and fight for my life. And so it was through this dance This was a that conversation was, that, that they had with you as a nine-year-old. Nine years old. Nine years old. And I and I and you know what I commend her because even today she's always down to have tough conversations. Hell, she just loves to talk. That is I, you tough. know, this is where I get it from. But yeah, but it's like she had the fortitude and she provided me the responsibility and onus to decide what I wanted to do for my life. And I think being able to make a decision at nine years old about my own life, knowing like these are my options, this is what I need to do. Like I need to fight. I need to like make sure she's like you and, and then again, when I said I wanted to fight, she was practical. You need to eat food because I was not eating. She's like, these are things the doctor said. You need to hydrate. Like, we need you to keep things down. Like, so now I know what my, I started focusing on, hyper-focusing as a kid. You know, you tell a kid in order to go outside and play, you need to finish that plate of vegetables. They have a goal. They're hyper-focused on that goal and they're going to do what it takes to get there. And that's exactly what my mom afforded me, that opportunity to be hyper-focused on. Okay, I need to, fluids, food. I need to stay awake. I need to go to sleep at like certain times. Like she was like, it's time for bed. Like you need to rest. And so all those things, I think, was a combination at a young age of learning how to make decisions in my life. That car accident almost killed you, right? Yes. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. How often do you think about that every single day? No, I don't think about it as much. I do talk about it. So interesting enough, Chad, like I talk about it more now than I ever have. And it was in the pandemic. Because one, I don't like when people feel sorry for me. I don't want people to, right. you know. But then I also don't want folks to look at me with rose-colored glasses like she has it all together. And I think most people's lives are somewhere in between, right? You're trying really hard. You're trying yep. your best. And you're putting your best foot forward. And there's some stuff in that closet that you've dealt with or dealing with. And, and you know, some of those life quakes. And so I live somewhere in between. And so I started sharing this more so to kind of sculpt the story and the narrative of why, which kind of, you mentioned, Julie, is like, I'm not yelling at you. I encourage you. Why are you so quote unquote positive or motivating? And I think it was, it stemmed from, I know it stemmed from these positions of almost losing my life. Like I know what that feels like. I know how that feels. And it wasn't over because, you know, anyone who's ever had a traumatic situation, they're always like, you know, if you have a life quake or any earthquake, they're aftershocks. So I almost had to have, I had Mm. to, I actually had to have another surgery my teenage years that took me away from dance when I fell in love with dance which I don't tell this part. So let's, you know, Chad, I got you. You're like, let's get into I want something. it. Yeah, let's Please. get into it. <laughs> I actually never shared this, but when I found, finally, I don't know if you've ever been in this position, whether you're a kid or an adult, you finally find something you love. You're like, I, be- I belong here. 
Like you can find the person you belong with, the place, mm-hmm. like you just like, mm-hmm. I have a sense of belonging and that feels so good. And I finally found it. I fell in love with dance. I started getting feedback from teachers. I got accepted into New World School of the Arts, which is like the best arts high school in the um, nationally, but also in the state of Florida. It's like the top three performing arts school. One's LaGuardia in New York and one is in Texas. And so to get into this was like a sign. I was like, this is it. God is saying like, I'm going to dance. I'm really good at it. The best in the world say I'm good at it. And my freshman year, I went to the doctor and they were like, so at some point in your adult life, you have to have another surgery. And it's going to affect you even more harsely because, you know, y'all all know right. once you get old, things yeah. don't heal the same way. <laughs> right. Not that right. fast. And so that's what happened. They're like, it's going to take you out longer than when you actually got hit by a car. And I just got into the school and I remember talking to my mom. And the reality was, they said, if I kept it in longer, I was going to have arthritis, even as a teenager. They're like, you're going to, at probably sophomore, junior year, you're just not going to be able to move at certain, like winter time and things like this that. This was the hip again? Was it the hip or the thigh or the hip. femur? The femur, your the femur, hip. yes. Yes, okay, your femur. Where so it connects I had like into a, your mm-hmm, hip. I had a, a plate with four screws in it. And I Oof. had like 14 stitches, like internal stitches and then 14 star staples. And so what ended up happening is I had to have that conversation with my mom again. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. And my mom, I mean, such a G, she was, I was like, they might kick me out of school because I cannot, I'm in the school to dance and right. I can't dance for the uh, entire right. freshman year. Uh, so I found yeesh. this out right before school started. My freshman year, I'm excited. You know, I'm ready to go. I have no friends. <laughs> so like, I have to make new friends, kick off the new year, going into surgery. And right before surgery, we went in to talk to the principal and the assistant principal. And they're like, unfortunately, we need to give her spot to someone else. Like, she can't be here. Right. She cannot perform the requirements. Right. So she has to go. And my mom, being such a G, she was like, absolutely not. What are, what are the requirements? She needs to be in dance class. She's like, she'll be there. She just won't be dancing. She can take as many notes. She can watch. She will be in every class. She will not miss a class. Like, she won't because I could have an outpatient surgery. She's like, she'll be back in time for school. And so if those are the requirements and she meets the requirements, you can't kick her out of school. And they didn't kick me out of school. I was able to literally sit in millions of dance classes and take copious amounts of notes around what my peers were doing. So it was like one of those things where you go to a school and you're really starting from the bottom. Oh my God. But did you, did, how long were you not able to dance? A whole year? Yeah, a whole school year. So I think I got the right, surgery, nine. let's say August, September is when school starts, I believe. Look at me, I haven't been in school in years. And then I wasn't able to dance until May, the beginning of May. But by and that what time, happens school in is May? over. Well, but what happens in May? Are you over. like sore? and So we every year at New World School of the Arts in the high school, they do a spring concert. And at, of course, I couldn't audition for anything because I'm, right. I'm still in a cast and crutches and hobbling around the school. And... And what ended up happening is there was a casting. I had just got like my full cast off. Like I was walking, but like learning to re- relearn to walk. And there was a casting for one of the, um, the performances at the very end. It was like the performances next week, but we need just people to crawl on the floor for this, like literally crawl across the stage. And I was like, are you kidding me? I like signed up and they were like, yeah, great. You can crawl. So I just got my cast off. They needed folks to call across the store. And so my freshman year, I performed in spring concert. And all I did, y'all, I never told a soul this, but like, obviously my our, my peers know. I just, caught in, in, in a 20-minute dance, you had to crawl across the stage like 15 times. And all I did was like army crawl across the stage. <laughs> and so were you I, proud of I was yourself? There. Hell yeah. I was so proud of myself. <gasps> yes. And does it change your relationship to your your body as, I mean, dancers have fraught relationships with their bodies in general to begin with. My two best friends growing up were both ballet dancers. Hi, Lily. Hi, Emily. One went to the Royal Ballet at 13 and the other went to SAB in New York to mm-hmm. go into, you know, School of American Ballet to go into American Ballet Theater. And their journeys were so hard because you get hurt. Like you're done by 20 Three, you put your body through so much. There's like so many things that happen as a as a female a dancer. Did your accident and recovery give you a different point of view or relationship to your body than you saw the other women, young women that you were coming up with? So I would say no in that, you know, at the end of the day, whether you dance or not, there are a lot of mm, tough body like body stereotypes out there, right? Like I think especially on women and especially on women of color. And it didn't change. Like, it's not like I didn't go through puberty and I didn't 
you know, feel affect, be affected by these things that I lived in this world. But what it did show me was, you know, you kind of can make what you want out of something, right? It's not always the way we see it. We think ballet looks one way. She looks straight hair. She's very tiny. She's thin. And what we've learned in life is that we get to reconstruct or deconstruct and reimagine the narrative. And I think in high school, I was able to do that my freshman year. It, when I say I was so proud of myself, it was because you. I came from almost getting kicked out of the school to performing in spring concert. I don't care what I was doing. I was performing in the spring concert with some of the best dancers that will go on to become some of the best dancers. And the fact of whether I was crawling on floors or doing like triple fortes, it doesn't matter. It's that I was there. And I think it, it, it allowed me this, this um, it opened my mind and that, yes, I can, I can deconstruct, but also reconstruct a narrative that worked for me, that made me happy, that showed the world what dance and what perseverance looked like. And so just as a ballet dancer, as I continued my career and what brought me to New York and I continued to dance, I don't think any of those you know, gremlins or enemies in your head of you not being good enough, skinny enough, or just anything, your hair is not straight enough, your nose not, whatever, you can insert person, any person, and those gremlins stay very you know, current. And so I don't think it eliminated any of that. However, it gave me something to point to that said, it worked for me then, why wouldn't it work for me now? And so this, this ability to, like I said, make decisions around my life, but also reimagine what my career could be or who I could become was available to me because I've done it on a small scale. Ali, uh, I'm going to fast forward you to your New York life just because we have a lot of ground to cover and I want to make sure we get to everything. It sounds like you started off as a model or you were a model at one point in time here in New York. Mm-hmm. I think of you now, I was before this show, I was trying to figure out like, even like how to label you. And I think of you as sort of like a new economy, multi-entrepreneur, basically. Like, is that, can you live with that as a title for now? Totally. I always say I forged this last generation. You know, we get so caught up in like that one title. It's like, why can't we wear many? Yeah. And into and that it, intersectionality. So absolutely. Right. And, and you've, if, you've found a way to branch into so many things. But I'm curious about, you know, with regards to body stuff and the the helter skelter cut you know cutthroat ruthlessness of New York, you come here, you're modeling here. What was your life like then as a as a model in New York City? So I got into model because I remember my dance history teacher in college. She was like, "There will be a point, in, like a fork in the road, a turning point where you have to decide the love of dance or the love of money." Life and quake. I mean, she was yeah, life quake, and she was right. And I think. One of the things that my senior year, I was afforded the opportunity to work in in, in, a, in quite a few companies. And so I you know, was privy to the salaries and how the dancers lived. And I got to perform with them at a young age before I had to really get out there in the world and make something of it. And one of the things I came to term with is I don't want, I do not have the luxury. I do think it's a luxury to be a starving artist in some capacity, not all. Mm-hmm. But in some, I do not have the luxury and nor do I have the desire to be a starving artist. And so I did you know, in the in the words of my teacher, who later called me a couple years later and was like, what are you doing with your life? I didn't take the love of dance. I don't want to say I took the love of money, but I knew that I, as someone who came from a family as a first college graduate, my mom is one of 10 kids. I have loads of cousins who live all over this country. And to come, to go to college and graduate, be the first to graduate as one of the youngest cousins was a big deal. But I also knew that there is a legacy that I need to create for my family. And it's not just my story. It's to make sure that my mom is okay and make sure my sister hasn't, you know, has opportunity. And so I had to change it up. And I remember, you know, you see on TV, you hear about it, like these models make all this money. And not that I didn't think that I couldn't model. I just knew that I could in some form. And I found out, I, I was researching online and I was like, how to get signed to a modeling agency. I sent my information. I think at this time, it was Wilhelmina. I called and they were like, great, hold on. They put me directly to someone, which I don't know who was working the front desk, but it was all the lot. I mean, it was aligned because you don't normally get that. Agent got on the phone and was like, great, come in tomorrow with photos of yourself. I came in, sat down. Wait, what did you say to that? To the, like, hi, my name's Allie and I'm a ballerina. <laughs> and I want to be a model. And they were like, okay, yeah. hang on. Let me put you in charge with Mr. Wilhelmina. Yes. Well, it was something to the like, I always lead with, this is a fun fact. And I would say my husband doesn't love it. But I think when you call someone, <laughs> like if I call, to be honest, Julie, if I called your phone right now and you picked up and I'm like, hey girl, this is Ali Love. You literally would pretend at least for 10 seconds that you know me. <laughs> That's a good oh. trick. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, so you're like, hey, it's Allie Love. And so for a second, they're like going through the, the mental Rolodex being like, 
I, Allie Love, Allie Love, do I know this Allie exactly. Love? Exactly. So gives you, you get on the inside faster. Okay. Uh, yes. Smart. So, and one of the things, like, usually at a company, someone will pick up the phone and they're not always the same person. So I'm like, you know, hi. And I'm like, wait, who's this? They say their name. And I'm like, hey, so-and-so, it's Allie Love. Now they think they need to know me. So I led with that, which was like all my, my go-to. And I was like, yeah, I need to be transferred to, there was a fitness modeling board that had just started. And I did some research. I need to be tra- transferred over there. Picks up the phone. I say, I, you know, I probably have like in my head, I'm like I have 30 seconds before this person hangs up on me. And he was like, legit, like come in tomorrow, bring your book. Bring your book. I came in and I had some- Did you have a some, book? I didn't have a book. I had, a, I read a lot of books, so that worked. <laughs> what are you coming in with? <laughs> I ran a CVS. I got like a photo album that looked like a portfolio and I put a bunch of photos in there. And we had, a, he came into the lobby. I didn't even go back to the back to the desk. Looked at the photos and he was like, great, I'll be right back. Came back, gave me a contract. Look over that. Let me know. I need to know by Friday. And I was like, okay, fantastic. And also, I don't know how any of this works. So now I got to go ask some people how this works. And I'd read the contract. I ended up signing it. And I started modeling for Wilhelmina, which I will say was a great experience because not only was I able to make money at that time, right? I could make some money and save money. But I met some of my best friends who I currently know today. Um, A few of the Peloton instructors also were on that board as well. And so oh, we wow. end up meeting each other at a very young age and or, and or knew each other prior to that through the dance world. And so I was able to reach out to them and say, hey, I need some help and vice versa. When we got, we got new folks on the board, they're like, they reached out to me and I was able to say, this is how it works. What kind of money do models make at that level? So I think it varies. And what was great about this, and this is my key if anybody ever wants to get into modeling. So you get day rates, right? And a day rate can be anything from 1,500 to 30,000. It depends on who you are. So there's a wide range and what your, what your skill sets are, and what the outlet is. But where the money was, was in my mind, I had, and I'm always keen to listen, I eavesdrop all day, especially on professional conversations, not private. I have no, no interest. But whenever I was in the office, I would be keen to see what are the other models talking about with their agents? And I would just like kind of listen. And I found that fit modeling, which is when you have perfect, like not perfect, but you have standardized measurements, right. you can work for a brand for a very long time. And I was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. So I, I told my agent, this is what I want to do. Like, send me on these castings, even if you don't think I'm the right size. Let, you never know. Let me see. And I ended up booking Victoria's Secret. And I did their sport. So they had Victoria's Sport. And I ended up working for five to seven years as a fit model. Two, two days a week, I had consistent income, no matter if I booked a shoot or not, which I did book shoots often. I was very fortunate. But I ended up having a consistent modeling job to save money, to like literally make money. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This New York City, so I'm really, I, I'm, I'm outside the glass on the modeling industry. I like sure. know some folks who've worked in it. I, have, I saw their lives change. I saw their social lives change a lot in that industry. And I got a sense that they were starting to make some money, but like, I couldn't really, really tell. Like, can you say like, can you say like, what kind of money, what's the... Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love this. I will say, I want to preference this by saying, I love this conversation because sometimes when it comes to money, we get so nervous. And I think the reality of it, especially women, is that in the workplace, you don't talk about what you make and you keep it so private. But those, it's like destigmatizing this concept and this concept of talking about money and getting comfortable with the fact of when you know better, you do better or you ask for better. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And that's, I think that that is important. So, that's how for example, they, uh, in the, suppress wages because we don't talk yes. about money. Yes. Yeah, and um, that's so, what Chad has an excellent podcast that was just nominated for an AMBI. Over at Audible, that is all about what well, you tell them. You say you give them no. A I was just going to say three ambies, but it, but three. Oh, that's neither here me. nor there. It, it's ah. called direct deposit. It's on Audible. It's all about what happens when Black people get money, like and how and how we mm-hmm. get money, basically. So Ooh. these are genuine curiosities. I'm not. I'm not trying to be invasive. I always wonder about models. I always wonder about like what kind of agency do they have for themselves by way of how much like the money that they're making. I, I have watched some sort of leverage the social contacts that they make by way yeah. of the job, but it's a little, it's a little dangerous, right? Because there's also like shady people connected to that industry who will try to leverage them for whatever they want. And so 
I really am curious. Like, I know how expensive it is to live in New York. Like, how, what yeah. kind of money do, do these people make? So, I, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak to that. But what I can say is the industry is different, right? You have various areas of that industry, especially now because now everyone, quote unquote, can be a model. You're on Instagram. You have mm. a following. Therefore, you're, you are now the new magazine, mm-hmm. right? You are now the new scription. Your, your following is a subscription. Right. And I think that that right there, you can leverage and monetize. And that's what most folks do. I think in the world that I played in, in terms of having an agent and everything being more so behind a paywall and, and being protected that way, and not necessarily like engaging on Instagram as much then. It was more of like focusing on how can I make sure I maximize my clients? It, and, and no shade to either. It's just that that was the area that I played in. And so as a fit model, you make 250 to 500 an hour depending on the client. Uh-huh. And so, and depending on the hours you work. So you might come in and you, you could have a set booking where you're like, I know I work six hours. So three hours on this day and three hours on the next day, guaranteed gotcha. um, that they have to pay no matter what, because it is my livelihood. And that's what I'm booking out time for. So you'll get that mm-hmm. money no matter what. But then there are days where they need you for eight hours and they need you, you know, they need you for literally 11 hours. So as long as you're flexible and you're available, you make that money. And so I will say having that consistent client during the time of like my formative years was impactful. It allowed me time to think. I learned a lot. I mean, I worked with a team of women that are still really close to me right now. One of them works on my company, Love Squad, actually. Like one of the head designers that was at Victoria's Secret, she actually designed the sweatshirt. Love oh, Squad. Fire. Like my, okay, we right. work together now. Dope. Yes. And I learned so much about apparel. I learned so much about sizing apparel, what's great about it, what's not so great about it. And I've been able, I've been able to be impactful. And even at Peloton, as we think of our apparel, all of my information was from that time. It lends itself to sit at a, in, at a table in a room to say, function meets, meets style and how can we have both and what the intersection of that is. Hmm. And so it, it was, it was, I mean, it was amazing. It was dope. So it sounds like you've always had a really, other than, I mean, from that moment that your mother said to you at age nine, this, it's up to you what happens now. It's up to you hmm. what happens. With, you just had a, a nearly fatal car accident that was going to potentially influence the rest of your life. And it was your choice how you approached this. And you chose the path of getting better. It seems that you've always had a really healthy relationship with your body, whether you were healing it, whether it was serving you as a dancer, now as an instructor. And then also when you were essentially, there are lots of pivot points in there where you could say, and you're surrounded by mirrors all day or whatever, where it can become a lot about your body, about your insecurity, about your body. Talk to me about how you, how that's not a part of your story. Do you understand how how rare it is? There's one thing to talk about something and there's another thing to amplify and breathe life into it. And what okay. I'm not saying is like with my body, it's not something that I don't necessarily breathe life into and amplify in that capacity. Whether it's like, okay. oh, the relationship I have or what I'm eating or whatever. I'm very mindful about it. I think I have okay. quote unquote healthy relationships with myself, my spiritual self, my mental self and my physical self. And then I have unhealthy relationship with my spiritual, mental, and physical self at times. And I think it's ebb and flow. So I am definitely more, I I advocate for talking about it, but in the capacity that it doesn't trigger anyone that's listening, right? Like we got to be mindful that the the listeners are listening. And what you want to do is like empower them. And so when I do talk publicly, I'm very conscious and I read a lot about this because I don't know everything. I know how I feel and what I've experienced. But even like on my Insta stories just this Mm -hmm. week, you know, talking, someone asked a specific question around getting to a shape and or size through fitness Mm -hmm. and some advice. And I said, you know, I'm not a nutritionist, but what I can say is that I don't use the word diet. I use the word eating habits. Eating habits are very personal. And the reason for that is that we all have different sensitivities. So what can work for me and look like it's working for me potentially may not work the same way for you because your body may react or respond differently. And I think what I've done and I've been conscious of over the years is even in the unhealthy times and in the quote unquote healthy times, I've just tried to tune into that body, tune into the body that I have. My body will fight to live, no matter how mm. I feel about it, how what mm-hmm. size I think it should be, or if it should have this or not have this, is that the, what it's put on this earth to do is that it's, it's designed to fight for life. And I am grateful mm-hmm. for that. And so that's the thing that kind of grounds me. That's what I come back to. So again, I don't necessarily talk about my body in relation to modeling or talk about my body in relation to fitness mm-hmm. because I don't think that those things are um, of substance to motivate anyone to continue to work out or continue to choose healthy or continue to choose themselves. I talk about it as your body is in relation to space. In your community, 
what are you giving in your conversation? How are you influencing positively? And I think those are elements where your body still shows up, but you are showing up to impact the space and to be impactful in a positive and or motivational way. I don't give my focus to things that don't like if, if it ain't thriving, I'm good. I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to talk about it kind of thing. And so. But was I, there ever I, a point when you had to get your brain into that? And I'm not saying go negative. Do not. Yeah, like I, I hear totally. your message. But the uh, pivot points in your career, which has been very physical career from uh, dance to modeling to, to all the things that you do and a fitness instructor that where you have those conversations with yourself um, small moments where you go, we're not going, mm-hmm. we're not going into that. A, a negative thought pops up and you don't have to go mm-hmm. into what the negative thought is. Just how do you address mm-hmm. it and where do you go with that? Well, I think, like I said earlier, absolutely negative thoughts about every part of me pops into my head. And it's not necessarily like all of a sudden, Ali Love just always thinks positively and then she's fine. No, it's not that at all. But what I recognize is that there are places that I can go to get kind of a, that are my source of strength. And so in those moments, I have a group chat. I call them my love squad, my friends, where I'm just like, this how I, you know, this how you're supposed to feel in today. Like, can I get some words of encouragement? So I don't think, like, I don't hyper-focus on it. And I know there are times that I could. And I know there are times that like, you know, everyone's like, you're allowed to. Like, I just don't, I try not to live in that space too long. And I, mm-hmm. I tend to use my friends and, you know, my husband, where if I'm, I'm starting to feel not so good in my body, either one, I know what I, I can and what's available to me to do. Like, okay, these are the workouts that I probably want to start doing, or these are things that I've consumed that I should probably let up on and be more moderate in what I'm, what I'm intaking and having such a good time in terms of like staying out late and not sleeping enough and all those things. So I know exactly what to do. So I'm just like, if I want to not feel this way, then I need to do the things that make me feel good. And so in tandem, I talk to people, like my close friends, and I'm just like, not feeling my best self. Help me out. So that connection is important. I'm curious, (laughs) Ali, speaking of your group chat, like how has your... And just given like that we are both Black folks and live here in this city, I bet I know somebody in that group chat. Um, But... How how have the people closest to you been a part of and watched the Ali Love ascendance to to what you are to what you are and what you're becoming? Like, how have they responded to that? Yeah, um, very. I mean, warmly in that. It may, I'm like smiling for those of you that are just listening. I'm like <laughs> smiling ear to ear, and it's because somebody asked me, you know, how do you know you do so many things? How do you know, like you, you're successful? Like, how do you, you feel successful, but how do you know? And I said, it's when you look around, like look around and see the people around you. And if you are admiring and all of what they've done and, and, or created and who they are, then therefore you, you, that is a reflection of who you are. And that to me is the metric for success. And so yes, in my group chat, I got folks that hold me down 100%. And I have people that, you know, your a, my A1s have been there since day one when I had zero followers and I wasn't on Instagram and nobody's Peloton instructor and nobody's instructor at all. You know, when I was in the club, you know, bottle waitressing and doing all those things, what they club? were my friends then. Oh, M2, Pink Elephant, all the fun <laughs> ones. <laughs> um, Do you know my friends I knew you look familiar. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, come on. I'm, I'm serious. Half kidding. How do, you, do you know these? I'd never heard of these places. I'm not, uh, I, I'm I definitely not know. Much of a, Yes, I definitely know these places. Allie is, she's she's big famous now, but she's been locally famous around here for Whoa. a long, like for years. Thanks. You know, we're like literally the same age and the same color. So it's it's very, I'm a hat on a hat on a hat of her demographic. So yes, I know these places. Yay. Yes, please Thank continue. You. I'm sorry, Allie. No, no, you're good. I think it's like, I'm saying like those folks that started with me in those times and that are still with me in those times and I'm with them, I... Like, I'm so grateful for them. And I think the reason to be completely transparent is that they are my touch point. Kind of like what you were saying, Julie. Like, some days I'm feeling myself like, girl, you made it. Mm-hmm. You're doing great. Like, you know, I'm, I'm all on it. Good, positive thoughts. And which is great. And then the other end of the spectrum of like, you're not even doing enough. Like, you're just never, it's never enough. Like, you can get into mm-hmm. that zone or in that space. But no matter where I'm at, I am on that spectrum. I have my friends who are coming in to just like, always make sure that I'm good and vice versa. And I feel like the fact that they can see that, the fact that they can show up in the celebration mm-hmm. and in, in the crying pity parties, to me, like I said, is a reflection of a feeling like this is the work that I put in is, is returning to me tenfold in the people that are around me. 
And so, yeah, like we just, our friend chat is lit every day. <laughs> and you, and, I mean, you're, you're, you're a hustler. Um, yeah, you actually remind me of Julie in some ways, which is to say, talk fast, move fast, yes. run fast. Julie is a fast walker. Y'all are, you guys, if you all were like Disney animals, I think you would be jackrabbits probably or foxes. You're aerodynamic. What, is there anything you do slowly? Like what, where, is there anything that moves slowly in your life? And also, do you feel like the rest of the world is moving slowly and you're moving at a normal pace? I love this because I, I speak so fast. I know. <laughs> I, but you know what it is, Julie, what you do well too. And I'm going to say that I try to do and I'm working on getting better at. It's not about how fast you talk. It's the idea rate per word rate. So as long oh. as my ideas, ah, ah, and maybe I'm just making this argument just to make myself feel better. But long as no, my ideas, like if there's one idea and a lot of word rate, then I'm good. But if there was like a lot of word rate and many ideas, then I'm right. not good. So I, find, <laughs> right. I, I feel like <laughs> that's like, no. I get that's it. not how this works. No, it's fine. It's, it's fine. I'm, I've gotten used I to it with Julie, honestly. I, at the can beginning I of this, I was like, though? Julie, I can you go talk back. slower? But I get it now. No. I get it. No, I cannot. <gasps> No, she can't. Um, I want to go back for a second to the people that the question that Chad had about the people that you came up with, the people that are surrounding you, and because because we're called quitters. Are there any people, places, things along the way on this journey that you found that you needed to quit to make room for the positive to come in? Because that's our that's our take on quitting is not about like oh giving up. It's about I've got to yeah. make space for the good thing to come in, which sometimes means you've got to, you got to quit something, a person, a place, a thing, a habit. Have you had that experience? And were, were they people, places, or things that you were like, you know what? I need, I, I want to be a positive person, allow more positivity in. This is not cutting it. Yeah. So I will give you all three uh, people. There were some friends that I did lose along the way. Some yeah. friends that you have to mourn the loss of a friend without them even, it's like they're leaving your life, not necessarily the earth. And the reason I think that that's important is because they were so impactful at the time that we had together mm -hmm. of us being friends. And I will, I will say it's not easy. It's not hard to come to terms mm -hmm. with that you and this person have now grown separately. Your interests mm -hmm. does not align anymore and not in a good or bad way or better or worse way. It's just they, they don't align. Right. And so I think it's like, I think the adult thing and what the beauty is, is for two people to say, I don't think this is working, especially in this friendship. At some point in life, maybe it will, we'll converge again. But just right now, let's not like, let's not try to make this work. And so there have been a couple that I have, quote unquote, quit, but like that, you know, that I've lost along the way. And, and I will say that I, not to be optimistic for being optimistic, but because I know them so well and they know me so well, and I pray for this, is that I think we'll converge. Like, I think that our interests may align later down in, the li in life and we look back and laugh at the things that we did together. So yeah, I think for me, it was like, I have lost some friends and I don't take that lightly. It is tough to lose to lose a friend. But, but you seem like such a speeding bullet train. It feels like people who are like falling off would try to like, you know, like grab hold so I don't, so I don't get knocked off of this thing. Do the people that you've let go of, like have they gone quietly or have they, you know, tried to be, uh, what's something that's like stuck on the thing? Like barnacles, have they tried to stay, stick I love that you keep now saying that I'm so fast. Have I been talking that fast today? Yeah. This is, Chad I'm, has a really? thing with fast talking people. And it's, it's, it's fantastic that you talk fast. I'm, I'm good with I it. I'm, I'm not, so I, it's not love, even a, I, it's just an observation. You, you move fast. I mean, you're literally a Peloton instructor. Like you move fast. Yeah. It's because I have to speak in the breaks of every song. Oh my so imagine, God. Imagine next time you listen to a song, think of if you have to get three sentences or two sentences in the middle, <laughs> in the song, like every 30 seconds, where would you put it and try to get uh -huh. it in there? And uh -huh. I think it's a, it's a, it's a skill set. So <laughs> it is a um, skill set and you are uniquely designed for it. I think I've had a little bit of both. I think I've had where I have, I do move fast and I don't want to like commit that I move fast. I move at my pace. No, actually, I think that everyone moves at their own entitled rhythm. And I think for me, there were mutual separations where it's just like, we both are recognizing this is getting a little too tough to, to try to hang on. And then there are times where you have to have that tough conversation where you're just like, hey, I don't think this is working. You do. And I think that's like, that's still a disconnect. Whether we both agree there's a disconnect or one of us agrees that there's a dis or, you know, decides or vocalizes there's a disconnect, there is a disconnect. And I don't think it's repairable at this moment. And so I think it, I've had both of them. 
And anytime that I've had these situations, like I said, they've made me a better person. I value my friends a lot. And I'm just optimistic that these people aren't necessarily like done forever. It's just like, I think we'll converge later in the near future at some point without it being forced, you know? Yeah. And then you had places and things as well. I want to know what they are. Yeah. So definitely places. Recently, coming back into COVID, with like out of COVID and coming Mm. into other spaces, Mm. I have literally quit being in places that make me uncomfortable. Hmm. Good for you. I love that. Such as which? I'm in a... Yeah. Crowded like, places. If I'm in a, <laughs> People coming at her. <laughs> People in my personal space. Back the subway. No. <laughs> no, I take the subway. No. Um, I, it's like, for example, if I'm in a meeting or if I am at a, an event, if I'm at a party and I just feel un, like uncomfortable and I, awareness, I'm not just like all of a sudden getting to this level of discomfort emotionally. Just like I'm aware that what we're talking about and how we're engaging with each other and treating each other isn't aligned with what makes me feel good, then I will politely exit the situation, the conversation, the space. And so when it comes to places, I I have been more conscious and bold. I will use the word bold because it is not easy to leave. And I have, I suffer from FOMO. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't ever want to miss out. So for me to do this, it is is like an adamant quit. It is Uh an adamant, like I have to quit because the consequence or repercussions of that being of staying in those spaces, it makes it makes me feel like I start feeling bad about myself. I start just I don't feel any of the good feels even the next day. It's almost like you're hungover, but you never had a drink, and I don't like that. Right. Oh, so yeah. I have definitely quit the energy being hangover. in some of those mm-hmm, mm-hmm. being in those spaces. Um, and then in terms of like things, so I've definitely quit some things, and I will give you one thing that I, I've quit is, and I guess it's more of a habit. I stopped waking up rushing. I'm done. Like I get, I want to get that extra minute, two minutes of sleep, but I'm not a last minute waker upper anymore. I've never pressed snooze. It's not my thing. But even when I get up, I set my alarm five minutes, seven minutes earlier and I get up and I move, believe it or not, Chad, move at actually a slower (laughs) pace in the morning. Okay. So okay. that I don't. That's a slow, yeah, so there you I, answered yeah. the thing. You do that's something you do slowly. Okay, what time do you wake up? But why is that valuable to you? Yeah, why is it valuable to you? In in and how was waking up in a rush not valuable to you? And what time uh, you wake up, Allie? So it depends, <laughs> but uh, four thirty or five thirty most <sighs> mornings. On my quote unquote off mornings, I wake up at six thirty. I don't believe that early birds get the worm. I will tell you, um, and I'll get to your question, Julie. I will say the reason I do wake up early, I think it com- actually comes from a. It, no, it comes from a non-altruistic place and that I like to be in your inbox before you're in mine. So I tell everyone that. It sounds like I'm, you know, I do try to work hard and smart, <laughs> but I do get up early to get into the work before you ask me for anything. So it comes from a place that is probably not the most, like I said, altruistic place of like, I'm just getting But that's that productive. That's, yeah, that's how yeah. you are productive. You're a boss. Yeah. Okay. Yes. The, I would say the upside of waking up and not rushing is, one, I don't forget anything. I hate forgetting something at home. Mm. For me, it's just, I can't get over it throughout the day. Like, if I forget something, all I think about is, why did I leave it? How did I leave it? All those things. Um, number two, I do a morning routine now. And even if it's just, like I said, some mornings, if I only have an extra five to seven minutes, it goes a long way. I ask myself this one two-part question. It's like, how do I want to feel and or what do I want to feel today? And the reason for that is that I don't always in my life want to be reactive. And if I don't set mm. that anchoring in the morning of like, and some days I do want to be, you know, I'm coming at them. Like I'm giving everybody, everybody's getting the fast talking alley. Then when I am that person that day, I'm, I feel good about it. No matter how you might feel about it, I feel good about it because those are my intentions and then my impact. And, and I feel like if I want to just protect myself, I want to be in the pocket today. I'm listening a lot more. I have to conserve conserve energy because I have a lot of meetings, whatever the case may be. Answering that question or that two-part question-ish for me every morning for the last, I would say, eight months now, there has been a shift in how how I, like I said, respond and not necessarily react throughout the day. You are a host and a coach and an instructor and a CEO. Do you, are you an extrovert? Do you like people? I love people. Yeah. You actually, yeah. <laughs> I always, whenever people say, I'm like, you actually do. Like, you actually like enjoy other people's energy and all that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Energy is contagious and I love it. I love, I, I love seeing that. That's why I love our classes with members in it. I like to see how they are reacting and responding to what I'm saying and to the workout. Do you What's miss the world of dance? 
No, I don't. Um, what I was it dancers. like to leave that? Was there a conscious moment when you left it or you decide, you made a choice that you said, other thing, I need to make room for other things and this is not, this is no longer something I'm going to pursue? Yeah, I think life has like a natural progression. And so when it was time for me to go, I didn't miss it because it was the time. And the only, I think when people miss things is because they left too soon. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, it, it w- I had been dancing for a while. I danced with a couple companies. I was also a Nick City dancer for three seasons. And I had never made the decision to leave. But I remember our last game of the season, we would do a huddle. And it said, it came to me. I was like, I, this is my last game, everybody. I just want you to know. Mm. And I made the decision that game. And I never looked back. I don't miss dancing. We do dance cardio at Peloton, you know, here and there every couple of years. And it's been so much fun. But to be honest, I don't miss it. I admire dancers. I think that they are untapped athletes. I think that they're underpaid. And like even my show that's coming out called Dance 100, I, I'm the host of Dance 100. It's a new Netflix show that's coming out. And um, one choreographer, it's eight choreographers and one choreographer wins $100,000. And the judges aren't some celebrity judges. The d- judges are the are the 100 dancers. They judge the choreographers. So now oh, the wow. Da- yeah. Oh, cool. So now dancers have, you know, I'm interviewing the dancers on what they thought and how it felt for them. So these, so these being, dancers are actually doing the dances by the eight choreographers. Yes. But don't they tend to, uh, isn't there a bias towards whoever they just danced with? You'd be surprised. I think it uh-huh. varies because it's more about your personality, you as a leader, uh-huh. as a choreographer, and then what you create on stage. So it's one of those things of like how it looks and how it feels from a dancer. The right. entire experience is where I make my decision. So it's pretty dope. Then they swap. They get they, So every dancer is going to dance with the eight different choreographers several different times. That's a really cool idea. That's on That's Netflix. That's a really cool idea. I, I, it's coming I, watch, out, I yeah. watch all the dance shows. I did love dance shows. Did you pitch that idea or did someone bring that idea to you? Yeah, um, they brought it to me. I had a meeting. I thought it was an interview. So you know me, I'm all prepared and ready to go <laughs> talking fast, doing all the things. No way. And they're like, great. So when you, they liked it. So when you come on the show, you know, it's going to be in London. We're going to film in London for two months. And it was more of like, when you do this instead of like, if you do this. And so I got oh. out of the call and I was like, they kept using this when. And then, yeah, they had already casted me from hosting for the Brooklyn Nets. So they saw my hosting for the Nets and things that I've done in the past. And they invited me to be the host for the show. Have people tried to convince you to move from New York to Los Angeles to uh, further your career or not really? No, I don't think that there's anything for me in LA at this point. I love it there, but it, it's definitely not my vibe. I think you, for me, it's about that energy and you want to be in a space that gives you good energy so you can thrive. And for me, right. I, I, I want, and this is true, I want to give New York back what it gave me. And it huh. gave me that purpose. It allowed me to find and fall in love with what I currently do. And so I do, I love this city and I, I love the idea of having a family in this city. I'm sure there's like a lot of inbound opportunity for you right now. Like how, what, how often do you say no to stuff and, and why? So I will say my team does a lot of it, which is very helpful because it's not, easy for me. Even though, you know, we talk about decision-making at a young age, I literally was having this conversation with my therapist today. It's like, it's hard for me to make certain decisions. And and the reason for that is because my brain works where there's a good decision and there's a bad decision. Hmm. Instead Mm -hmm. of like, there is a decision and then this will go this way and this will go that way. So it's really deconstructing how I look at decisions and opportunities. But for the most part, what I try to do is I've, like I said, I've been very fortunate, but also intentional around the people that I surround myself with in the workspace in my personal space so that it's more of like, let the people in my world who are good at what they're good at, do what they're good at. And that's what they do is like, they they vet those opportunities and they bring it to me or they bring it to the greater group and say, this is what we should do and or explore. How do you get to a point where you trust somebody else's taste that implicitly and that they they get to know you that well? When you're talking about your team, are these people, you're talking about agents, managers, you're talking about people that work for you in like employees or do you not see a distinction? Well, no, I think values are values. I don't care if you're an employee, an employer, an agent, like when your values align, that's how you know that person's for you as a friend, as a coworker, as a manager, whatever the case may be. And I think when the values are aligned and it comes through conversation and I will say, you know, y'all mentioned this on the podcast, just for the folks that are listening is like, why does she do all these things? 
So I am also very intentional around my career. So as the host of the Brooklynettes, as a CEO, CEO, founder of Love Squad, as a Peloton instructor, right? Working with, with CAA and doing brand deals and things like that. All, everything that I do are, is anchored in the three C's. Everything's on camera, camera work, because I love the ability to extend myself globally. I think being able to reach you know, globally and access to information in a, in, a, in a drop of a hat is really important. Access to information is expensive. So being able to do that on camera is great. Conversation. Conversation is the catalyst of change. That's where you get to know someone's value, right? Like, what are your values? It's via conversation. And so I'm adamant about everything that I do starts with conversation, whether it's on the Peloton, at the Nets, or at a Love Squad event. And then community. It's not just creating a space for everyone to come and just follow me on Instagram. It's cultivating that community, offering you insight and access to that information you know, via each other and starting that conversation so you feel like you have that sense of belonging. So it's those three seasons, camera, conversation, and community, that all of the things that I do are anchored in that. And so even to answer your question, when my team gets presented an opportunity, if it's not a part of the three C's, then it's a, it's, it's a definite no for us. Do you right? identify with any particular one of your jobs or roles or identities as like your core like thing? Like I am, if someone wants to ask, like I am this, this is what I am, this is what I do. I don't think that I'd say that. Like I, I know yeah. and you not in all. a... I, I do love everything that I do. And I think just only one side of me would only be one side of me. Like, I'm proud to be a Peloton instructor. Absolutely. I, I'm, a pr- I'm proud to be the t-shirt girl at the Nets, which is, you know, people will say in New York, are you the t-shirt girl, Allie Love? <laughs> yes, that's me. I don't have any t-shirts for you. I'm proud to be a CEO and founder of a small company that is thriving without ever going to business school I'm, and give keynotes around these things. I do enjoy all of that. So I don't necessarily choose one. I know that doesn't sound as cool because it's not edgy, but I don't. Like, I... And I don't lead with that. Like, I don't lead with my title. I think it sounds pretty cool. I I do not know how old you are, and I'm not going to ask, but you look youthful. And uh, (laughs) I'm imagining you are, you don't have kids yet, and you got married recently, but it looks like your life is about expansion. And I do Mm. think that life goes through phases. There's expansion, there's contraction, and and, and it's a natural sort of a thing. And just on a, on a, a personal note, like, when I was doing Modern Family, there was this idea of there was this expansion, 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 but really, and then when you stop doing it, that somehow your life's contracting. I never saw it that way. I thought, oh, I'm I'm still the same person. I just might not be as expansive in a forward-facing public way. Do you see that your, your trajectory needs to always be a forward-facing one? Or do you mm. see a time when your expansion could be more of a personal one? Like so behind, that, not on camera. I love that question. So I th- yeah, Sorry. I think the reality of that is, is that I do live in the intersection of my personal and professional life. And I say this all the time. I'm very transparent as a public person, but I'm also private. And I think you can do both of those things. You can be transparent right. and private. And I think that um, within that, in terms of self-discovery, like going deep, right? That kind of retention versus expansion. I think that's something that I've actually been focused on because the reality of 2020 was there were no quote unquote mm-hmm. new projects or new announcements. I was actually doing all the work. Like you're just, you're planting the seeds. And so this year of 2023 with the new show coming out, like now you get to see when you didn't know where I was or what I was doing, it, you get to see kind of like the fruits of that that labor. And so for, right. for that, and in that, I don't think it's necessarily disconnected from my personal growth or that personal self-discovery and or work. And so I, I will say for 2022, I did a lot of, of work, literal work that no one saw behind the scenes. And I did a lot of work internally, like personally that no one saw. And I think being able to step in this new year and share with folks that I'm coming from one of the darkest times in my life to not necessarily the brightest times, but like clarity. And then you get to see all the things that I've been working on because sometimes that also influences how you feel. It's quite beautiful. So that's why I said there's not necessarily a disconnect because professionally, if you're doing bad and there, it's really hard to be in a space where professionally you're doing not so well, but personally you're thriving. Like it's very hard to be in that space because it, it doesn't necessarily exist in my opinion. And I think mm-hmm. what ends up happening is you want it to just be closer together where you're solid here and you're solid here. And it might go up and down, but the varying degrees is very is very small. I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I missed it, but I didn't clock the part that was the darkness from the last 
like darkness in terms of like the pandemic or was there something something like specific that was the darkness that you're that you're emerging out of yeah i don't think i've necessarily not quote unquote shared i think it's like darkness of like the shift from when we talked about coming out of the pandemic and then uh-huh. kind of kind of finding your space in social settings and then having to set new boundaries when we were talking about what are those things that you right. quit those right. quitting moments actually came out of you know the pandemic we had we learned a lot about ourselves having to stay home mm. and then reimmerse into society and we had to make some decisions one that are more keen on like life is short and i need to get it together and some that are just like i'm not sure what i feel or think at this moment mm-hmm. and i think that evolution of self discovery coupled with like i said putting in the work that don't that isn't always visible because what's visible isn't always what's valuable right so you don't always get to see the work itself mm. but it's still value there couple that together I think, like I said, as I come into the new year, I'm like, you get to see the fruits of my labor. And I now know Ali Love a little differently, you know, than 2019. And now post-2020, I can articulate kind of like how she feels in this new setting. And so I have some of those non-negotiables. <laughs> you just said what's visible isn't valuable, always valuable. And I, first of all, I just want to like put a little asterisk next to that, put it on a pillow, a t-shirt. That's fucking genius. I love it. Because that is so true. That is so true. But then this idea of your personal expansion as far as being during the pandemic that you were doing some some more internal work. And yet that is when, at least for me and my friends, that is when you became a household name. Mm-hmm. Is when everything got locked down and everybody was on a, uh, you know, riding a bike and on a Peloton. It was like, that's when you came into my world. You were not in my home mm-hmm. before the pandemic and then you were in my home. So, this idea that you were expanding during a time when personally you were doing some internal stuff must have been really jarring then to reemerge. Sure, you see you get more and more followers and you've got, you know, sort of accolades that it's kind of all online. It isn't mm-hmm. It isn't out with a crowd around you. So to reemerge into the world, did you find that you were reemerging into a different idea of a public, different, a different public idea of Alley Love? Yeah, I mean, we grew so we grew so fast so quickly, and yeah. there was, and I will always say, to be able to be in you know my living room teaching live classes where yeah. twenty five thousand people are in my living room uh-huh. and to be of you service were in your is living honor. room, not literally. In yeah, the we were. Room. Yeah, of yeah. course, we taught from home, so we but, are, yeah, are yeah, yeah. yes. No, they sent us a studio to our living room, and my husband. <laughs> I mean, and I it set looks it up. like a studio. It looks like a <laughs> no, studio. no, no. Now. No, now. So if you go on the platform, it's there's a tab that says at home. So you, we, it's actually instructors and res- respective instructors in their houses. So that's what we I did never, during when it was le- yeah. never occurred to me. Never occurred to <laughs> yeah. me. I was just yeah. like, just I was just focused on you being nice to me and and encouraging me. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you know these the people who are exercising with you? Like, do you feel like you have some feeling of for who they are? Because I'm sure they feel like they know you. Yeah, of course. I feel like I know who they are. I think also I know who they are from data, right? Like you look at data right. and say what music is more attractive, what uh-huh. class types more attractive. So you so and the demographics of those folks that take it. So I can use the data to inform me about who is you know on that leaderboard. But also I get to meet folks. I mean, the airport is a breeding ground, which I love. But it's like yeah. I get to meet folks randomly on the street who may or may not know me. You know what I mean? And I think being able to have those quick interactions, I get to see you know face to quote unquote a name. And our community is really encouraging. And they are people that will come up and repeat things that I've said to them that they use with their kids, you know, or that they remember or that was impactful for them. And I think having that, that impression, that having the responsibility to have that impression is something that I also had to do the work around, right? During the pandemic, that's what I'm saying. It's like, we're expanding and this is great and to be of service, but I'm also simultaneously dealing with what people on the other side of that screen is dealing with. And I think it's that love of humanity. I showed up and I said, I'm transparent. I showed up with that love of humanity and honesty on social, on the platform, in my classes. And I think people appreciate that. And I think that's what is the stickiness around why I do what I do is that whether, you know, again, it's camera conversation or community, it's, I'm showing up with a level of humanity to say, I'm, I, I'm different, but I'm no different. I'm also too going through this as well. And I'm not going through it alone because y'all are with me and vice versa. And it's a, it's a privilege. So Billie Jean King, I always quote this, pressure is a privilege. And so it was a time where there was a lot of rediscovery happening, happening as you become more visible, 
as, you know, things change and you got to stay flexible and you have to pivot every second because information was changing for everyone. Mm -hmm. And you're Mm -hmm. caring for yourself, your family, your well-being and doing all that work. So I think for all of us, I don't want to, I wouldn't say anyone else is in a dark time, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if folks wouldn't use the same description. And is that right now that there are people, you know, recognizing you on the street and on the subway, I'm sure, and at parties and stuff like that. Is that the why that you realized you don't like people in your space like that? No. What I realized is that um, when I talked about like people in my space, I meant like when someone is like really, really close to you. Yeah, like close talkers. Yeah. Like when you're just like, oh, I got to, I think this might be a little bit too much for me. But Uh no, no, no. When I talk about Folks, it's not like I don't like people. I love people. I love going to parties. I love being in crowded spaces. But but I think what I'm recognizing is that I don't have to be in spaces. I actually get to make decisions around the spaces that I enter and exit. And I think that for me was an adult thing. It was like, and people listening are like, duh, I knew that. That's what I do. I didn't always do that. I didn't want someone to feel bad if I left. I didn't want, you know, I I started playing this little bit of a game of negotiating with myself on why I needed to be uncomfortable. When the reality was I wasn't servicing anyone being uncomfortable. I just have to identify why I feel uncomfortable, leave the space, and move on. Do you, do you remember a time when you first implemented that? Like, I feel uncomfortable, and I'm not going to negotiate with myself. I'm going to say goodbye. A certain party, a certain um, everyday a, a, people. A certain interaction, a certain crowded, uh, yeah, dinner, and you're like, yeah. I don't want to get completed. It's not like super crowded area. So I love crowds. You're going to see me in crowds. I'm fine. It's just the bad vibes. Yeah. No, I think it was, it's kind of like, it was a subtle change. It was more of like a conversation or a group conversation where I was like, ooh, I don't want to be this person anymore. So (laughs) I can, I can listen. I just don't have to, you know, partake. And then it was more of like, I can actually leave this room and go into the next room and not even just listen. And so it was just an evolution of my awareness to say, like, I just don't want to be that person and I don't want to feel that way. I want I want to feed my brain the good stuff. And it's not to say, like, I live in this la-la land and everything is positive and now it's toxic positivity because that's not true at all. But I just know this awareness, this internal awareness, which I think is so important, is to say, like, how do I feel in this moment? Is this overall and this information that I'm subjecting myself to going to make me feel good and or better who I am? If it's not, and it's time to, you know, for me to leave. Like, I'm good for a good kiki and being shady. So I don't want to, like, say that I don't have my good times with my friends. That's, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, as I go into spaces, meetings, talking to people, getting introduced, like, hey, I want you to meet. Nice to meet you. And I can, like, ex- you know, I can exit. Not everyone has access to my time. And I think that that, to me, is super important. No matter who you are and what you do, I think that, that everyone has that privilege and, and pressure <laughs> to do those things for themselves. Julie, are you, just want, are you yeah, good at yeah, go are on. you good at making a bad energy exit? Me? Are, yeah. Are you good at getting away from the poisonous vibes? Uh I I am. Mm. I am, but I still, yeah, with other people or in 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 social situations, I am. But this this thing that I just wrote down, uh, that I don't no longer want to negotiate with myself about why I need to be uncomfortable. That I'm not always good at. That can be uh, that can be alone. That could be with my family. That could be like mm. that could be in all kinds of situations where I'm I am constantly negotiating with myself about why I should be uncomfortable, and that there's some sort of and I still do believe. And I'm gonna have to. It's gonna be a long process. Ali Love just sent me on a road. I'm gonna start <laughs> putting it at the very top of a little journey path here, but. The idea that un, that it's okay to be comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. I've never thought that. I've always thought um, if you're comfortable, you're lazy. You got to be uncomfortable to get shit done. But I bet as a dancer, there were times when being uncomfortable or even healing from a broken femur and a busted hip, being uncomfortable was a necessity that you had to push through to get to the other side. But a feeling of emotional uncomfortability it needs to be separated out from that and and looked at for what it is. Is it, are we uncomfortable in a certain situation? Is that a, a sign from our gut, from our truest self saying, you don't need to be here? Or is this a challenge that you need to further look into and say, oh, I'm uncomfortable because I don't think I'm as pretty or smart as the people in the room. We go, okay, that's not true. Like, so uncomfortable is a big word and I, and I, I want to, in my 
I'm gonna, but I'm taking away from this conversation is I want to look at that because I know that I am in a constant negotiation with myself about being uncomfortable. And that I think that, that if I'm uncomfortable and still going, that means somehow I'm tougher than the rest of, of the world or whatever. And that isn't very helpful, especially when I've had friends literally say to me, you're so tough. It's hard to be close to you. Damn. So I wow. know that there's a there's a line when tough it goes too far for me. Yeah. So I really want to thank you for that, Allie. That was a really heavy thing. Um, it was just a great, a, a great statement for us to uh, close on. And I'm, I'm so happy to to meet you. And uh, yeah, Chad's got you, something to say. I really? No, I was just going to say, we know you gave up uh, waking up in a rush, right? Uh, Is there anything yeah. else that you are putting down this year um, that you just are ready to say goodbye to? Mm-mm. No, I think <laughs> I think that's. Did you have right to there. put down? Like, did you too. have to put down anything to go and do the? You had to go to London for how long? Two months. <laughs> that's yeah. not an insignificant amount of time to change your routine in your life. Where you you had to put something on pause. No. No, I ended up doing everything that I like. My obligations, the nets, I had to get backfilled, but it was okay. Like we had already prepared for that moment, kind of thing. But I think for okay. the most part, I think being able to wake up and be mindful how I start my day, to be completely transparent, is very has been very like a big shift for me. That's like, big. I've noticed a shift. Cool. So, yeah. Thank All you right. for well, being here. Allie Love, you yes, are thank um, you. a force to be reckoned with. We can't wait to see Dance 100 on Netflix. When is it coming out? Oh, it's coming out soon. I, I don't think I'm tell the tell the date yet. Soon. Congratulations. It'll, That's it'll really exciting. Congratulations thank and thank you. Um, thank, thank you both. You. This was so much fun. Thank you for being You're here. You're wonderful. Thank you. We really love talking to you. Bye-bye, y'all. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.